Welcome to the Men's Health Unscripted Podcast with Patrick and Cam. We're focused on everything on men's health, looking at your emotional, your physical, and your spiritual well-being. You're going to take care of that and make sure you keep on going. What's going on, guys? It's Pat and Cam. We've got a great episode lined up for you for Men's Health Unscripted. We have Nick Machuca, Deputy Director of Development at Equality Florida. This uh, podcast is going to tie into a really exciting event that we have coming up. Um, and we are honored to be a part of Equality Florida's community uh, for this event. So, Nick, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, how's it going? Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, it's going pretty well. Uh, I've had a very busy year, as you can imagine. If if anybody's been paying attention to the state of politics in Florida, um, they'll understand when I say I'm a little bit exhausted, but uh, hanging in there. Yeah, and so it doesn't help that's 100 degrees every day, too. So that's just compounding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although I was just uh, I was in Canada for the last week. So it was much cooler up there, although still a little warm. Well, that must have been refreshing, though. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Change. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And this this air is just sticking to us. Like I walked outside the other day in the morning to walk the dog and I was like sweating five minutes. So <laughs> fully understand <laughs> The, uh, the political climate is hot and the climate climate is hot. And uh, for those reasons, we have partnered up with Equality Florida and we're going to kind of dive into men's sexual health uh, all around at our event coming up on August 31st. But Nick, we would really like you to tell us a little bit about Equality Florida and some of the things that you guys do for Florida and the Tampa Bay community. Sure, of course. So um, Equality Florida is the statewide LGBTQ civil rights organization. So anywhere in Florida where LGBTQ issues are up for discussion, Equality Florida is the group that's in the room and at the table advocating for the community. So that can take me as far away as Tallahassee, sometimes uh, Pensacola and Jacksonville, and as far south as Key West. I've been down there for work a number of times. It's always a, a pleasure to, to go down where people vacation. But um, the, the state of affairs in LGBTQ issues in Florida right now is not particularly good. Um, we've had a number of uh, vehemently anti-LGBTQ laws passed this year, uh, signed into law pretty much right at the start of Pride Month uh, back in June. Um, by a governor that is more or less trying to pad his portfolio uh, as he runs for president of the United States. So Equality Florida continues to be that frontline organization that, you know, fought against all of these bills uh, in their inception and throughout the process. But we continue to kind of go around all over the state, meeting with stakeholders, families, individuals, uh, school districts, local governments to counsel them on how to uh, implement these laws because they are state laws. They have to be uh, implemented, but we're, we're trying to make sure that these uh, authority figures don't go beyond the bounds of what the laws say. So we don't want a school district that is uh, enforcing things beyond what the actual language of a law says. We want to make sure everything is very specific uh, as they implement these anti-LGBTQ laws all over the state. Yeah, so uh, you know, the law thing, we kind of have a little bit of background with that as well. Mm -hmm. So pharmacy law, you know, us being pharmacists um, is written 
it's written down black and white and, and we spend a lot of our time yeah just kind of making sure that doctors offices and patients and everyone is really following those lines because of course even though it's black and white they find gray areas or they find other areas so we have to kind of monitor that so I imagine that's obviously it's not the same but I imagine it's kind of similar how you're doing here you have to kind of have the law and then you have to be able to mitigate those gray areas and make sure no one's crossing into the red areas or you know doing anything they shouldn't be doing yeah, I mean, that's that's more or less how it goes. We like to believe that laws are black and white and it's a, a simple yes or a no, uh, whether or not you are uh, implementing them or enforcing them. But we know through experience and through practice that it's rarely ever that smooth. Um, and I'll give you one example. We have a program uh, as part of Equality Florida's work called the Safe and Healthy Schools Program. And so with that program, we go to every single school district in Florida and we make sure that they uh, are receiving LGBTQ competency training uh, for teachers, administrators, staff, janitors, school bus drivers, pretty much anybody that has uh, contact with a student or is responsible for uh, that student's learning environment. We want to make sure that they are equipped to provide students with a safe and affirming environment, regardless of who they are or how they identify. With all of these new laws coming out that really kind of specifically target uh, the student experience and the public education experience, um, we're having to go back to all of these school districts and make sure that they um, understand what the law says, what is written in the text, and how to implement that in a way that satisfies what Tallahassee has asked for on paper, but also leaves space for LGBTQ students to be themselves to feel respected in the classroom and to feel affirmed regardless of, of who they are and, and where they happen to be in that school. So some districts are easier to work with than others. And this is this kind of comes back to that black and white versus gray area. Some school districts will uh, sort of overstep what needs to be done because they believe that, you know, if they uh, don't implement this law correctly, there's going to be some kind of reprisal from uh, Tallahassee and, and they'll be punished and have their budget slashed or so, some number of things could happen to that school district or to the leadership of that district. But then we have other school districts that are good on LGBTQ issues. They've always been good on LGBTQ issues. Uh, we kind of look to them as leaders in that regard. Um so it's it's never as easy as Tallahassee telling uh, a school district or a, a county or a city uh, here is exactly what to do. It's always up to the stakeholders to determine uh, the real meaning of that law and how to implement and enforce it. Yeah, so we've definitely noticed that no matter kind of like what your political beliefs are, we don't really consider this like a political podcast. But I mean, politics do affect health and, you know, however you cut it. And I think that people being unable to express themselves, you know, in a reasonable way really leads to some significant mental health issues and can potentially lead to physical health issues and, you know, bullying and things like that. So it's definitely important, um, the work that you guys are doing. And we appreciate it because, you know, so many people, you know, could get lost in the shuffle really, um, just in, in kind of 
this situation? Have you seen in your experience, um, you know, I know these laws are relatively new, but have you seen in your experience where uh, people would harass like members of LGBTQ community or something like that? And it directly affects them and like correlates to self-harm or uh, things like that. Um, and we, I just asked that because, you know, it's an important topic. We discuss mental health and suicide a lot and uh, on this podcast, and we feel like it's important for people to understand, like, you know, you gotta, you gotta be yourself to, to a degree. Um, so what have you seen in your experience as far as that goes? So I, I'll say over the last year or two, we've brought on, on board, um, at least one, uh, psychologist or psychiatrist. I, I get them confused, but, uh, she is definitely, uh, a professional in the field of psychology. She works full-time on our safe and healthy school staff because, we see and have anticipated uh, negative mental health outcomes across the state as a result of some of these laws and changes that really affect LGBTQ students primarily. Um, we previous we as in like the state of Florida previously took part in a federally administered survey for all students that that basically was able to track. Uh, things like suicidal ideation, um, more or less how a student is doing um, mental health-wise. Um, of course, all of that is anonymized data, but it did provide uh, quantifiable data for us to determine how the mental health situation was for kids all over Florida. Um, we, our governor, our state legislature has pulled the plug on that. So we're kind of um, a little bit blind right now to what's really happening uh, in a way that is easy easy to calculate, easy to quantify, uh, easy to, to hone in on what's happening. And we're kind of left with more or less uh, anecdotes, uh, personal stories from students and from administrators and, and teachers that are right there in the classroom observing a lot of things. And the example that I, I want to give actually is not really related to a student or a teacher, it's it's related to a school board member uh, in Sarasota County. So he his name is Tom Edwards. He's uh, our only openly LGBTQ school board member in Sarasota. Um, he is really the only school board member that we can identify as pro-LGBTQ, pro-equality on that school board. Um, the rest of them are, are kind of hit and miss, uh, depending on what agenda item is before them. But I bring him up because recently, like back in February or March or something, he started being harassed in the public comment and on the public record by people that would, homophobes, transphobes that would come in, sign up for public comment, and then use their three minutes of speaking time to get on the microphone and call him a groomer and a pedophile uh, for their entire three minutes. And it, it, it would be back to back to back, all of these people um, harassing him and, and basically bullying a grown man in a position of power. Um, we think with the hopes that he would step down, resign, maybe not run for office again. Um, so we we see that happening. And, and that's, of course, the most public way that that could be happening. So imagine what's happening behind the scenes where there are no cameras and there are no recordings and there isn't an audience of people 
sitting behind you. If these people are bold enough to do that in front of the world, there's obviously a lot going on um, behind the scenes as well. Yeah, that um, that's pretty tough. I mean, that's uh, I, I think I've seen some stories about about him on the news. So it's interesting that you uh, bring it up here on the podcast. How how do you guys kind of like back him up, or you know, is there anything that you guys can do to kind of help support Tom? So the the moment that that happened, basically, Equality Florida committed to being present and on the microphone for every single school board meeting after that. And we have been. Most of the time, that's been me. I, I live here in Tampa, um, but I drive down to Sarasota every two weeks to attend the school board meeting, to sign up to speak, uh, to deliver my talking points, to you know defend LGBTQ people and students in Sarasota County. Um, and anytime that I'm not available to do it, there is somebody else there that we have prepped. They have... Um, speaking points. They, they know what they're there to talk about. They're Sometimes they're there to represent Equality Florida. Sometimes they're there because Equality Florida has asked them to, to simply be there and speak and deliver uh, the message the way that we would deliver it if we were there. Um, and on a bright note, I mean, maybe two or, two or four weeks after that one incident, um, we had basically recruited 300 pro-equality people to come in and, and speak uh, for LGBTQ equality in Sarasota County. So I think that while that was a traumatic thing that happened and, and has unfortunately continued to happen, it's galvanized and mobilized a lot of support in Sarasota County um, for the right things, for LGBTQ equality. And we're seeing a lot of that happen all over the state too. Right here in, in Hillsborough County uh, a few weeks ago, we got noticed that a lot of anti-LGBTQ people were going to come to the school board meeting to, like, I don't know, speak out against the, the Pride Month proclamation that they were going to be issuing. And so with that notice, we mobilized, again, hundreds of, of people on the right side to come in and speak in favor of that. And we got it passed there. So... I mean, we're we're seeing a lot of this homophobic and transphobic backlash happening all over, but it's kind of waking people up to the fact that this is all still happening in 2023 and that there is something that we can do about it, which is to speak up and to elevate our voices. Sure. I mean, this is a huge time in kids' lives as far as their development. And, um, you know, it, it puts kids in a lot of conflict at that age group. And, you know, they hear certain things on the news, they see certain things happen from the government. And then there's actually, it's like what's happening to them in real life. And, uh, that, that conflict, you know, there's a lot of self-exploration and things that happen as we grow and go through adolescence and stuff. So I can only imagine what these kids are having to go through, um, just potentially just trying to figure out who they are. I mean, they're very young, and, and I mean, you know, guys, especially, I think like they say our brains don't stop till like, or don't get fully grown till like 25 and you can, you know, might could be older, you know, for me, I'm, I think I'm still developing, but um, <laughs> I was, I was going to say, I think I'm still in that bucket, yeah. but you know, I, I couldn't imagine the conflict that these kids are having to deal with, uh, as far as that goes. I mean, 
other than like anecdotal stories, have you guys heard of any any students? I mean, this kind of goes back to the previous topic, but any students that are having a really hard time with this or it's preventing them from getting the education that they that they need and that our tax dollars are paying for? Yeah, I mean, I, I hear stuff like that all the time. We we looked at the situation at New College, uh, which for, for those who weren't so familiar with it, New College was basically the progressive uh, liberal college institution in Florida that was more or less overtaken by um, right-wing conservative people that uh, kind of upended the board of trustees there, installed a lot of um, pro-DeSantis and conservative people on that, and, and kind of completely changed what the the mission of New College was, or at least what the personality of New College was. And a lot of those students that were there, I mean, that wasn't something that they had signed up for. That wasn't something they were expecting. So we do know of a lot of them that transferred to other institutions. Um, There were colleges in the Northeast that specifically were recruiting New College students, uh, providing uh, financial aid and scholarships and whatnot uh, to students that were at new college for that particular learning experience that was taken away from them. And and we know a lot of them did end up going to out-of-state institutions. We also know that uh, it was something like one in six or maybe even one in five students that were uh, considering going to college in Florida uh, are now considering going out of Florida and have actually crossed all Florida institutions off of their list because of anti-LGBTQ backlash and because of the laws that were passed this year. Um, Looking closer at like the the K through 12 public school, um, I'll I'll give you one example. I have a a family that is in, I think, Manatee County. I know them pretty well. They're supporters of Equality Florida. Uh, They went up to Tallahassee to lobby against a lot of these bills. And they have a transgender son. He's 13 years old, Um, all through middle school. uh, He was a he. Uh, His his friends and his teachers used he, him pronouns with him. He is effectively a male person, although he's transgender. He's going to be starting high school next month. I think it's like August 10th or something. So a month or less from now. And his parents were extremely concerned that he was going to go to this new school that was supposed to be a a fresh start for him, uh, new people, new classmates, uh, new teachers. They're very concerned that he's going to go and on the very first day get misgendered. And the teacher, someone of authority is going to use the wrong pronouns with him. It's going to draw suspicion and attention to him that he otherwise would not and should not have. And it's gonna set him up for bullying for the rest of his time in high school. So they've they've considered a number of different things, uh, moving him to a different school, homeschooling, moving out of state, uh, even suing the state against this law. So, I mean, a lot of parents are kind of panicking in this moment. We know of several parents that have actually moved their entire families out of Florida. They've moved to places like Um, Chicago and Colorado and the Northeast. Um, Some of them are even moving to what we would have traditionally considered conservative states that have not gone as far as Florida has on uh, the anti-trans 
and anti-LGBTQ things in the public schools. So, I mean, we're we're seeing students suffering as a result of this, but we're also seeing parents and guardians doing everything they possibly can to protect their kids. Yeah, because definitely moving to moving to Chicago is quite a distance for that. So, you know, the the feel and the drive, the the need to protect them like that is definitely something's got to be severely fierce. Um, but you were mentioning earlier that, that there were one in five or one in six um, students who were considering going, you know, crossing off all the Florida schools. Were those students um, like public school, you know, K through twelve in Florida, or are those out of state students looking to come in? So this is a mix of both. And okay. when I say they're crossing off schools, I mean like colleges and universities. Right. So I mean, we've seen, I knew of at least one student that was admitted to the University of Florida or or it was FSU. It was one of the two uh, big ones in Gainesville and Tallahassee. And at the last minute, he decided to go to school in New York instead. Jesus, that's a tuition. That's a yeah. tuition jump right there. Let's oh, be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, it was an expense that he and his family were willing to take on because we've seen not just like the anti LGBTQ specific bills affecting colleges and universities, we've seen other sets of laws that are targeting Florida's college and university system specifically. So, I mean, there have been attacks on tenure. Um, they, as far as I know, they have completely changed the tenure system here in Florida um, to where it it may. I'm no longer in academia, so I don't follow it too closely. But my understanding is that it's made tenure completely useless here in Florida, um, and that there have also been attacks on diversity, equity, and inclusion programs at Florida colleges and universities. Well, it uh, it definitely seems like you've got your hands full with a lot of these projects and laws that have been kind of trickling down through the state legislature. And uh, I've been following a little bit, uh, a, a little bit about what happened at USF recently with that Tampa Five group. And um, you know, it, it's crazy. And I think you know, sometimes things, like you said earlier sometimes these really negative things can really galvanize the community and really bring them together. And, and we hope that's, that's kind of like the end result, um, you know, and not like a lot of these, you know, negative outbursts and things like that, just targeting people just to target them. Um, Cause it, it really does like hamper people's development and then just what they're willing to do and, and can really, you know, harm people. And I mean, we saw it with COVID is just like a general, you know, people isolated and isolating isn't good for you either. So um, you know, again, like this, this stuff really does like the, the politics of it all, no matter what you believe really affect people. So, um, you know, thank you for bringing awareness to that on our podcast. Um, but, uh, we'll, we'll shift gears a little bit over to kind of the men's sexual health component, um, and kind of what we will be speaking about and just some things that you've learned, uh, as being part of equality Florida. So, um, we initially started putting together this program because we didn't feel like there was adequate and ready, you know, readily available information about men's sexual health across the board. Um, you know, even, even when we were in pharmacy school, I think we got like 30 minutes of it and it's yeah, just it not like a touch and go kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, we really wanted to, you know, touch on contraception prep, 
um, you know, birth control methods and things like that, that, that men can explore. We've talked about vasectomies on the podcast, so that's a little bit of something, but, uh, we really wanted to expand how, uh, men explore their sexual health. And, um, I think just talking to friends and people in our community, it's been extremely paramount that we get some information out there because guys just kind of are like, eh, whatever. Um, there's antibiotics for that or something. And sometimes there's not. So <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, sometimes you're not always that lucky. Right. So, um, you know, in your experience with Equality Florida, I mean, how how important of this is a topic and how much information is really out there? And, um, you know, give us the, the 411 on that. Sure. So I, I think being uh, an LGBTQ rights organization, our main focus uh, related to sex and sexual health is actually paired with uh, HIV advocacy and reproductive rights. So I'll start with the first one, uh, HIV advocacy. We um, Here in Florida, our laws related to HIV are from the start of the HIV pandemic. So they date back to the 80s and the 90s. Uh, before we had a lot of pharmaceutical breakthroughs, before we really um, knew a lot about HIV and AIDS. Um, and so these laws have sort of been carried over from the, from the first time we were dealing with uh, HIV spread here in Florida. So we have laws on the books that criminalize um, HIV transmissions, even if you, you don't mean to do it, and even if you don't know your status, um, some some of them I think are like the penalty is up to thirty years in prison if you accidentally um, transmit HIV um, because you know you didn't like disclose your status or or it was an accidental transmission or some sort. So w- while it is you know not good that somebody could or would transmit HIV. Um, We know from experience that treating a public health crisis from a criminal lens does not work to stop the spread of of HIV and other um, diseases. So we do want to update that. We want to make sure that you're not scaring people out of knowing their status, knowing their HIV status, um, because once you have that knowledge, once you know that, you know, you are living with HIV, you can then do something about it. There are drugs out there that can lower your, your viral load count to uh, an untest, un, sorry, an untraceable, untestable level. Um, you can effectively live as if you don't have HIV. And so, you know, once somebody knows that about themselves, they then know to, to start on this regimen to, to make sure that they're protecting their, their body and their long-term health. Um, we also want to make sure that people know about PrEP and PEP, so um, pre-exposure and post-exposure prophylaxis, um, so that you can stop an HIV transmission from occurring in the first place. So you guys will probably have different statistics because you're doctors, but uh, I, I tend to say, you know, PrEP when taken uh, as prescribed is 99% uh, effective at making sure that you don't contract HIV um, from a sexual experience. Did I get that right? Doctors? <laughs> uh, I think that's pretty <laughs> close. It was like, yeah, it's right. pretty close. I don't know the exact number, but it is, uh, it is super effective. And like mm-hmm. Pat said before, unfortunately, even through school, like you only get a little blurb about right. it. I think on our licensing exam, I think I had one question and I think it was PEP 
um, that was, you know, in regards to that. And I recently just did a uh, continuing education on it. And again, it was like the, the, the program, it's an hour, but they only touched on prep and pep again, like a paragraph was in there and that was kind of like maybe one question and that was it. So right. it's really kind of not taken as seriously as it should be. Um, especially as we're getting to this point where a lot of these drugs, um, are coming out of brand name. They're coming into generics now. So mm -hmm. it's now a little more affordable, more accessible, obviously barring insurance contracting and things like that. So it should become more of a commonplace thing to talk about, you know, to patients, to talk about your friends, talk about the people who, you know, may not know this information, may need the information. Right. Yeah, exactly. And um, I mean, as, as far as I know, even if you can't afford it out of pocket, if you can, if your insurance doesn't cover uh, prep, for example, I believe there are government programs that you can apply to and, and a good doctor and pharmacy will do that for you um, to make sure that there is zero or little out of out of pocket costs to starting prep and staying on prep. Um, well, oftentimes the manufacturers also offer, offer programs too. Um, so 100 percent, right. not 100 some of the time. Um, it takes more work. It's not something the pharmacist or the doctor can do because sometimes there will be questions that only the patient can answer um, when you enroll right. in these things. And obviously, uh, part of HIPAA, you know, it's not our, it's not in our wheelhouse to know this kind of information. So that is something the patient does have to put in. We can't, you know, step into that gray area and start asking them private information to fill out those things. But we always look into it and then, you know, give the website or give the programs out. Um, that way they can look into it and get that signed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's more important than ever to know that these things exist and to know that basically to know your risks, uh, particularly as a gay and bisexual man participating in sex uh, in Florida, because Florida is the number one state year over year for new HIV transmissions. I think we had three, three to five hundred more HIV transmissions here in Florida than they did in California, and they have double the population, and that was like just last year. So, I mean, we're we're disproportionately uh, dealing with more new HIV transmissions here in Florida. Um, there are certain concentrations where it's uh, happening more often than others, and we also know that it's um, racially disproportionate as well. It's like for all gay and bisexual men, it's something like one in six have are likely to be diagnosed with HIV at some point in their life. But if you are a Latino uh, gay or bisexual man, it's like one in four. And if you're a black gay and bisexual man, it can be as many as one in two at some point in their life. So, I mean, this, this has a racial disparity to it. Um, and I think the more information that's out there and the more resources that people have to access the better we're going to be able to tackle this thing. Sure. I, I think that uh, from from talking to just some buddies, you know, I, like when I was in pharmacy school, my neighbor um, at my old place uh, was a gay man and he was like, hey, what do you know about prep? And we had a conversation like, you know, we were partying a little bit, and the, but it came up. I mean, and and uh, his his uh, comment was just like, it's really tough to get access to it or you know, he, he might have, I think he said, uh, his physician was kind of like hesitant, like, eh, you know, didn't really want to deal with it. Um, so we had to get a new doctor, but then, uh, it kind of came up, but there's a lot of issues with access or it's just 
uncomfortable for a healthcare provider, for the patient or somebody. And I think that when the information's out there and when, when it's readily available, it kind of tears down that stigma and brings more empowerment to be able to ask and say like, Hey, um, this is my sexual lifestyle. And I've heard about this. Is it something that can benefit me or, or what can I do to get access to it? And I think that when you ask those, you know, educated questions and you know what to ask for and to look for, it really creates a much more comfortable environment to discuss, you know, the needs of the patient um, overall. So that's really the goal here to to bring education to our community. Um, and, you know, Cam and I both were like, dude, in school, we didn't get any of this. And it's, you know, I don't know how much of your patient population you handle with PrEP or PEP, Cam, or uh, even HIV treatment. Um, but I know that there's a lot of people out there that could really use the information. So uh, Men's Health Inscripted is is for all men and to get them the health in- information that they need. And so that's kind of the goal here, um, you know, in partnership with Equality Florida and All Y'all Yoga. So if you guys are in in Tampa, I'll plug it for the first time. If you guys are in Tampa, August 31st, uh, I believe it's at 6 p.m. at All Y'all Yoga. Um we are going to be having this discussion uh, to to educate our community on sexual health overall, and it'll definitely kind of be divided out into different uh, segments, but also to incentivize anybody coming. They have this really awesome uh, block party on the last Thursday, so it falls on that Thursday, and there's some really great businesses in the area, Seamaid's Creamery, best ice cream I've ever had, um, and like just a great family that runs that place, uh, and they're you know, kind of, you know, one of the inspirations for this, cause they have the equality for the wall. Um, it's a really beautiful, uh, mural. And, uh, I was at, I was like one of the first times I met them was at the unveiling of that. So, um, we're, we're excited to be a part of it in that community, just because like, there's so many awesome businesses and business owners that want to uplift the community and, uh, and, and we appreciate them having us out, um, you know, on the 31st, but we'll keep going. When, when it comes to, you know, seeking help, do you guys have people, you know, reach out to you guys uh, a lot to ask questions or to say like, cause I know there, I think I've looked up, you know, in preparation for, uh, for the, the, uh, discussion, um, there are providers in Tampa and St. Petersburg area that specifically deal with prep pep and then treatment. So, I mean, do, or do you guys have a network of those physicians or do people ask you about, you know, where to really kind of find a physician that's willing to, you know, have this discussion with them? So yes and no. I mean, people have lately been reaching out a lot to ask about all of these new laws that are happening. And like, it's, we get a lot of the, okay, you know, what, what can we do to help? How, how do we plug in and volunteer? Um, but as far as reaching out for health-related questions, we don't really get a lot of that. And I think it's because um, organizations like Metro Inclusive Health are so good at putting the word out that that they are the, the prep and pep access people. They are the people that you can go to. Can Community Health, too. Um, people know that those two resources are out there. Um, if, if you don't, can and metro share a building in ybor city so so check them out um they're really great on uh prep and pep access um and continuing uh access on that um and i know they do a lot of um hiv treatment uh as well yeah some really good resources i 
Pat mentioned before, um, you know, we work in the community setting. We do interact uh, with patients all the time. I, I can't be 100 percent, but because uh, I float to different stores. Uh, but there's probably at least one patient, you know, at least around every store, depending on the location. Um, I know my original home store where I started off at, I think we had two patients and uh, we'd always, you know, you, you get to kind of know everybody, you get to know your patients coming in, you keep it in stock. So it's it's a team effort kind of thing. You know, you have to have access. Um, pharmacists being some of the most easily accessed health experts kind of what drives me and Pat to kind of do these programs, to do these things, to get this information out. Because if you don't know, you're not going to get help. You're not going to find it. So mm-hmm. you know, it's always going to start off throwing this info out here and get some, just get some people on board with taking care of themselves. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think I, I have another statistic that I want to throw out. It is at last we checked, one in five people living with HIV don't know that they are living with HIV. So think about that. 20% of people out there that have HIV have either not been tested for it, uh, they don't know their their status, and they're not seeking treatment um, to delay and, and sometimes stop the effects of HIV uh, destroying their bodies. Yeah, we, um, that, that statistic is actually pretty alarming. And I know, like Cam and I know that HIV can kind of linger in your body for a while without you really getting sick. And um, I think the the big thing that I don't, I don't think a lot of people really realize this. So like HIV AIDS isn't really necessarily what kills you. It's just like acquired, you know, you get like an acquired, you know, a cold or something like that. And it'll turn into something a lot more serious. And I think that's, you know, usually people who don't know, that's kind of when they find out and they start getting like very sick. It really just destroys your immune system. So it's important to know that like that in itself doesn't kill you, but it's, you know, kind of the complications that come with it. And, you know, as you said before, Nick, I mean, a lot of this stuff can be mitigated with the proper treatment. And there's been so many advances in the field of HIV AIDS treatment. And even, you know, treating co-infections and things like that, that um, it it can, you know, a lot of people live very normal lives. Once they find out, they seek treatment um, and kind of get on board. And it's also just important, anybody who's listening that might know someone or themselves be involved with this type of treatment, like, please don't stop taking your medication. And that that's really how you get resistant viruses in the community where, you know, now no lo- this drug no longer works because the virus, viruses and, and bacteria are really smart creatures. I mean, it's incredible how they adapt to to our medications, um, but it, it's super important. And, and I think that once people know, then they have access and can go get it. And, and there's a huge component here too, where I think it's hard for people sometimes to advocate for themselves within the healthcare system, just because there's so much paperwork there's like, I got to go to this doctor, this doctor, and now this pharmacy. And they have so many places to visit. If you're sick, you're over it. You know, like it's it's tough enough for people who are healthy sometimes to get through this, you know, shark infested water, sometimes as I like to call it, uh, of the healthcare system. But it's, it's just really crazy. I mean, it, if you're sick, I couldn't imagine, you know, getting from one doctor to the other and just, I mean, it is so exhausting and, and I do advocacy in my private practice. And I mean, my patients are definitely older. We deal more with metabolic disease and things like that, but they're tired. I mean, they're just like, dude, I'm over this. Like, this is stupid. I have to go to five different doctors this week, you know, and it's, um, 
And, and, you know, it's sad. So, I mean, you know, advocating for yourself is so important just because if you just walk out the door, you know, that doctor doesn't know, or that provider doesn't know how to help you. So, um, that's definitely going to be something that we, we discuss how to advocate for yourself within the healthcare system, especially around these topics. Yeah, definitely. And I think an added layer to what kind of drives people away from seeking treatment for a lot of things is it's always an unexpected cost related to um, accessing healthcare or accessing medicine. I mean, if you're going to five different providers, that's five different opportunities for you to get some kind of surprise medical bill. Um, and, you know, maybe you have insurance, maybe you don't, maybe your health insurance does cover that bill. Maybe it doesn't, maybe it's only a portion of it, but not the rest of it. So because it's always an unpleasant surprise receiving some kind of, uh, billing related to a healthcare encounter, um, a lot of people are kind of turned off from seeking treatment for a lot of things entirely. Oh, yeah. And putting, you know, putting aside the complete bullshit mess that insurance really is, uh, it, it would take incredible amount of footwork because essentially as a patient, you're blind. You have no idea of the steps, the process to any of this. Um, and unfortunately, the best the best ways, you know, got to you got to attack it head on. You got to be forward about it. You need to contact your insurances because, as you mentioned, you'd hate to get referred to somebody. You go there and that doctor's not in your network they're not covered. So now you have to pay that entire thing up front or, you know, they maybe have some kind of plan to lower the cost. So you'd have to get the referral from your doctor, but then still get the clearance from your insurance and then go see the other doctor. And it would, it is such a hassle. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately it's kind of where healthcare is. Um, so it does take a lot of work. So, you know, anyway, any way we can find those small loopholes, kind of get people through steps, you know, if they're able to you may maybe have a picture of what their goal is or what the, you know, the treatment is, they might be able to, you know, take a step past, you know, with their primary doctor be like, oh, well, what about this option here? I heard about this. And now they may, may mitigate some of those other appointments and other steps. Um, so it sucks, sure. but you know, I trying to help every uh, step. I recently had a, a client of mine um, have a procedure done at one place and then another doctor say, hey, we need to do this. And I'm like, no, 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 no that they'll get double billed and then they're going to get billed a, they're going to have a huge bill at the end of the day. You know, if you're, if you're doing double up on procedures or blood work or whatever, and your insurance isn't covering all that, they'll just flat out send you the bill, the other coverage. And like, next thing you know, you got a bill for 10 grand and you're just like, what the hell? So it's important for, you know, for people to know like what your insurance covers and, um, it, it really helps with with being able to kind of find some cost savings opportunities as well, but then also directly find the treatment that you need without having to pay for any extras or um, all that kind of stuff. Because, you know, like any businesses, I mean, there's upselling that goes in that's involved. It's like yeah. you might not oh, see yeah. it. You might not see it. It might not be like the typical, you know, marketing structure. But it's there. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you know, healthcare is kind of a business here. And so what well, is not kind of it is a business here. So, um, you know, we have to be aware of of that. And I think a lot of people feel like healthcare should maybe not necessarily be free, but um, they shouldn't have all these extra related costs involved. I mean, this is your life, right? It's not like, oh, I want to go buy, you know, some novelty thing at the store. I mean, you're dealing with your health and your life. So I think it's uh, very difficult 
sometimes for people to grasp that, especially if you're outside of healthcare. So bringing all this information to light, getting everything set up in a very easily digestible way is going to be awesome. I, I know Cam and I are really looking forward to it because I think it's just going to be fun to connect with our community in this way. 100%. So definitely our favorite stuff is kind of getting out and being involved with people. Um, plus, as you mentioned, there's a block party going on as well. So mm-hmm. like you're you're doing more than just one community. Now you have all the other communities coming together. So more outreach, maybe more information. So maybe people walking by will stop in and just kind of hear some word. It's maybe not for them, but maybe they got a friend, you know, that they're going to see next week. So uh, outreach is definitely a good, good first step. Nick, we appreciate you coming on the podcast. You have any, um, any other statistics or information for us? <laughs> no, I think that's it for one day. thanks for having me yeah you did a great job i mean we had a lot of fun talking to you i know that that the world is sometimes crazy uh maybe all the time crazy and uh so you know we we really appreciate the work that you and equality florida do to help the people that you do i mean it's a light you know no matter what what it is i mean it's just you know to, to be able to guide people to get the help that they need and to seek resources and things are it's really amazing um, you know, just the world is, is tough. And, and a lot of, I mean, outside of healthcare, you have to advocate for yourself for anything. So yeah. the, the fact that you guys are, um, you know, advocating for people that that's really what men's health is all about. Just like, you know, sinking your boots in the ground and just being like, all right, we're here to stay. And, and we're here to help, um, the people who ask for it or that need it. So thank you guys. And, and equality Florida. Awesome. Yeah, thank Thanks so much. Yeah. So last plug, August 31st at 6 p.m. at All Y'all Yoga. I will post the address and everything in the uh, bio and I'll I'll post um, how to get a hold of Equality Florida, their social medias and website and et cetera as well. So um, Nick, thank you so much for coming on and taking the time to give us some education about what's going on in the world and uh, help us promote this event. We're really excited about um, kind of bringing some public health Uh, from the pharmacy to our community.